Derek Wetmore, you know, we were hoping to do a bunch of hot stove segments this offseason where you got big moves around baseball, the Twins with you Darvish rumors. Okay, is it because Scott Boris represents all the clients and they're all waiting for eight-year contracts that aren't going to come and so they're all going to wait until, like, spring training? Nothing's happening. Yeah, I think it's a combination of two things, at least two things, two reasons why we're not seeing the market move. The first one is that teams in general are just ready to slow play this thing. They're like, eh, it'd be nice to have Alex Cobb. Yeah, he'd, he'd help our rotation. But I read a report the other day that says he's looking for $20 million a year. Okay, so a team's going to hear Scott that. Is Boris his agent too? I don't think Cobb's represented by Boris. I'd, okay. I'd have to circle back. But anyway, the point is just that like you hear that price tag and you're like, no thanks. We'll just see what Steven Gonzalez can do next year. Or Fernando Romero. That's not just the Twins, obviously. That's right. all teams. Even the Yankees are doing that. Yeah, here's the price tag for what it would cost to trade for Garrett Cole. Eh, how about a one-year deal for CC Sabathia? There's no reason that any one team needs to jump in front of the market and go spend big money on a pitcher. And that's, I think, the main reason. You're you're seeing a lot of front offices who are run by analytics departments saying, let's wait until the return on our dollar is there. Otherwise, we're not going to pounce on it. The other reason is because everybody's waiting to see what the big dogs get. What's Eric Hosmer going to sign for? Is it really going to be so seven apparently years? He has like seven years, 140 on the table Crazy. from two teams right now. Crazy to me. but He's a good player, but my God. I know it. and I feel the same way. And then you've got other guys like J.D. Martinez and Yu Darvish, Jake Arrieta. So if you're Lance Lynn... Don't you want to figure out what you Darvish gets before you go to a team and ask, hey, if he's worth this, I'm at least worth a fraction of that, rather than settle and say, like, okay, here, I'll take this $50 million deal, and Darvish I mean, goes and gets $200? I'll take $50 million and know who I'm playing for in a month, I guess, but sure. Well, yeah. There's something to be said yeah. for the, waiting The perks the of being a major league pitcher and not a uh, sports talk radio host, I guess I would say. <laughs> exactly. Do, do they have to do something to have a successful offseason? The Twins? Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I think if if you hold Pat, this is an unsuccessful offseason. And the reason I say that is because your team is trending in the right direction. It's probably a playoff caliber team for the next five years, no matter what you do. But isn't your goal to take the step forward, to not just sort of hope you're hanging around in the wild card? The second reason I say that, Matthew, is because I don't think this team, as currently constructed, is a playoff team. I think there's other teams around the American League that have just gotten better. That's going to be a really hard task to try to get the second wild card spot in the American League. I mean, look at the, the Yankees. Too many good teams. The Yankees went from, oh, this is nice, they're building something, and they got to the playoffs unexpected this year by, by a lot of people, too. All right, let's take that and just add all kinds of gasoline to it and bring yeah. John Carlos Stanton in. You can also the Twins look- have added Fernando Rodney, which I'm fine with that move, sure. but that can't be your only move. Yeah. Well, I might look at the Yankees as an example of where they didn't do anything last offseason, which may have been the first offseason of my life that I can remember. Yeah. Oh, they, they didn't sign the biggest star that was out there. And they were sellers the five months before that for right. the first time in our lifetimes right. as well. So I might look at it and say if they don't do anything, that's okay because this team can be competitive and you might want to look for better options that don't involve overpaying someone like crazy that you don't really believe is going to be great or that you know a couple of years down the road is really going to hurt you, sure. which I think is the case with you, Darfish. It could be. And what the reason that I say that it's not a complete offseason yet is because I think this team is like good-ish. It's good-ish. And good-ish is a very bad place to be. Whether Are you you're saying in- good-ish like in a slang way or... Uh, like good-yuck? Uh, 
Like no. what? Yeah, is there like good-ish meaning like they're kind of good? No, no, they are. Oh, like the kids are saying good-ish. Right. No, I'm saying like all one word. They're sort of good, and, and maybe it's 500 good. It's probably a little better than 500 good. But you look at the other teams in the American League, Phil and Matthew. I mean, Yankees, Red Sox. The Indians are still the toast of the Central, in my opinion. And then out west, you've still got the Astros and now the Angels. It's a challenging time to be a sort of like middle-tier American League team. And I think the Twins have a spot here where they have an opportunity to become more than just a middle-tier team. Their next goal should be taking down the Indians in the Central. And I think they could get that done with a big offseason. So if you know, though, that you're not quite ready to beat the big dogs. And in this case, I don't think you are. I don't think you could beat the Yankees. I don't think you could beat the Astros just because you signed you Darvish. Then wouldn't it be a good idea to wait until you can to spend that type of money? Like, you can't do it this year, but maybe next year when you get some of the prospects up that you have when your guy you drafted number one overall in two years is ready to come up or some of your top prospect pitchers are ready to come up and form a rotation that's three or four guys deep of, of young rocket arms. I just feel like you're a couple of years away from that or Nick Gordon coming up or any sure. number of these guys who might make a huge difference. Whereas if I just spend this money now, how does that impact me keeping some of these players long term? Sure. Here's where I think now is the offseason that they can spend money. The position player group that they have right now is team-controlled for two, three, four, five years in some cases. This is your window. You know, Royce Lewis is going to help. Guys like some of the pitching prospects that they have in the minors, whether it's starters or relievers, that ought to help too. It's not like you're sitting off for some some far distant future, though, and saying, like, man, one day we'll have some good players who are young. You already have those players. It's Byron Buxton. It's Miguel Sano. Jorge Polanco, to a lesser extent, Eddie Rosario, Max Kepler, Jose Barreos. You have that core. And so now, Matthew, is the time that I would spend if I was the Twins. Here's how it was put to me. The You guys think in terms of sports windows, right? You got a winning window. You're the, pa- you're the Packers. Your window is as long as Aaron Rodgers plays for you. Tom Brady, same deal. Most windows don't shut the way that, like, windows shut in that they're kind of leaky and drafty yeah there's a lot more window companies now like you don't have the window you don't you don't hold the window uh, the uh, thing up with like a a stick anymore but i see what you're saying so in the twins example the way it was put to me is what they're going to try to do here this like this this patient cerebral front office they're trying to think of the window on the back end keeping it open like, I would argue that their window is already open. It's maybe not flung open the way the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Astros, the Indians. The way their window is open is quite a bit different, in my opinion. But the Twins' window is open. You were in the playoffs last year. You had permission to beat the Yankees and go on to the next round. You didn't get that done, but the window is there. Now, the way they're thinking about it is, how do we keep that window open for five years, for six years, for seven years, whatever it is? As long as you've got Byron Buxton, that's a really good spot to start. How do you build around that? And I don't think Darvish takes away too much from that, considering their future payroll. Okay, I've got it. Joe Maurer retires, buys the Arizona Diamondbacks, and trades Paul Goldschmidt to the Twins. <laughs> Wait, that, I, you know what? I, that don't sounds like a, re- a revolutionary example that's never happened in baseball. Oh, wait, look at the Marlins <laughs> Hang right on now. a second. I like that idea. Um, let's come back here. Wetmore's hanging out with us. Fangraphs has projections for all of the Twins players. So they have this statistical 
machine that they pump all of their historical data into, and it gives us projected home runs and batting averages and on-base percentages and ERAs and things like that for Twins players. And they just released that yesterday. I want to throw some of these at you guys, and we'll just go like, yay or nay? Is it, Would this be good enough or not in your mind? Right. Matthew Collar in for Judd. Wetmore is in here from the Touch em All podcast. It's Mackie and Judd. Phil Mackie, Judd Zolgad. There's so many opinions. Every morning, people tune into you guys and get a good one. Mackie and Judd. Not a good one, just a great one and an honest one. And not just yelling back and forth. On 1500 ESPN. Here's what you may have missed on a recent Purple podcast. Uh, but in a playoff game where you know that Drew Brees will have some success, he, Drew Brees, if you have to face him, I'm just throwing his name out there, but if it's playoff football, you're probably going to have to score at some point and, and not yes. just expect that if you run into a big stretch of a whole quarter or two quarters where you can't produce at all, that your defense is just going to hold every single time. And if you have one concern about this team's chances in the playoffs, I think that's where it's at and the fact that they are having to shuffle up front. You can find the Purple Podcast on iTunes, Podcast One, or 1500ESPN.com's podcast page. Uh, Derek Wetmore... I have, you tipped me off of this, Fangrass is going through team by team and they're unveiling their 2018 player projections. So I'm going to throw these out to the room here. Just like, you know, Brian Dozier, here's what they project for his home runs and batting average and all these things. Yeah. Um, that's probably a boring one because he's been the same hitter now for four years, sure. an awesome hitter. They, they won't tell you which months he's going to hit all of the home runs, right. but they'll just tell right. you the final total. Exactly. Um, so I'm going to give you guys, well, forget about Dozier. He's 30 home runs and he's going to hit 260 again. And that's, that's the projection. Sounds good. I'll give you some other ones here. You guys tell me yay or nay in terms of like, would this be acceptable in your mind? Would you, would you take it or not? Byron Buxton, according to Fangraphs, a 246 batting average, 305 on base percentage. And he would wind up with 18 homers, 24 stolen bases, and like 70-ish RBIs, 70-ish runs scored, hmm. which is kind of depends on where he's at in the batting order. I think that's a disappointment. And a goal, and defense, obviously. Oh, well, sure. of course. But, yeah. I, I mean, I think that's realistic. But I also think that after he finished the season the way he did, that everybody is sitting around expecting him to hit 275 with a 350 on base percentage, hit 25 homers, and be like the best player in the whole league. I think that's like the expectation is that high. When I made my little cute list of uh, the power rankings of uh, players just in Minnesota sports, this was before allegations against Miguel Sano, but I had him on my list and I didn't have Buxton. And it was like, well, okay, I don't know. I mean, Sano is the, the power hitter, so I put him up there. But the tweets that I got back were like, oh, don't you realize that Buxton next year is going to be a top 10 player in the league? More or less. Hmm. And I think that might be setting it a little high. Well, to answer the first part of the question, I think those projections are low. I think that I'd take the over across the board on Buxton. Especially 24 stolen bases. He had 29 last year, and you couldn't touch him. And he only stole 29 because he wasn't getting on base for the first two months of the season. Yeah, Byron Buxton has 50 stolen base speed. And I don't know that he gets there, but just I, I listened to every stat category you said. That was maybe the most um, disappointing if he settles for, what was it, 24 steals or something? 
Byron Buxton to me isn't yet top ten player in the game, but he has that potential. He's he's up there in the conversation with the guys. Um, I mean, he's not Mike Trout. He's not one of those kind of guys because Mike Trout's a great defensive player and an awesome offensive player. But I think the computer projection here is just looking at the total body of work and saying like, okay, he'd be close to that. I don't think so at all. I think he's a different player now because I think the first two months of the season, he was basically worthless at the plate. After that, he basically became a star. So if he gave you these numbers that Fangraphs is projecting, he, I'd be he, sad. He, well, he'd be he'd be a really good player, sure, and he'd still it. even maybe get an MVP vote or two because of his defense. But I'm gonna I'm gonna take what they projected, and I would I'm gonna give you four different categories of where I expect him to be. Where like this is. Your evolution as a player here. You've had enough time to figure out major league pitching. You're not 21 years old anymore. It's time to go. All right? 40 stolen bases are bust. 20 home runs are bust. A 280 batting average are bust. This is a a guy who hit 300 in the second half of the season last year. And a 330 on-base percentage are bust. In fact, in the second half of the year, he hit 300 with a 347 OBP, slugged 550, Mm -hmm. and hit 11 home runs with... Uh, 40 runs scored. Like, that, maybe, okay, maybe a slight downtick from that, but for a full season, that's where he should be at. And it's not unrealistic to expect that. It wasn't a blip, like, in years past. What was it? September, right, that he had the monster month uh, in 2016, and we were all like, okay, here comes Byron Buxton, superstar. Yeah. I had that column in spring training, and for about two months there, I was sweating that one pretty hard. Let me then give he, you later. He turned into a superstar, so there you have it. Right. Let me give you guys Miguel Sano here, and okay. there's a lot of this conversation has taken a different twist in the last ten days or so. But Miguel Sano on the field performance as projected by Fangraphs next year, two forty five average, still striking out in thirty five percent of his plate appearances, three thirty seven on base percentage, and thirty home runs with just shy of ninety RBIs. I'll start if that's who he is. That's a very productive offensive player, but I'd be looking to trade him ASAP does, if that's all he's going to be. Does that have a weight projection from beginning to end of the year? Uh, yeah, the uh, 275 says, pounds, take the over or under as yeah, you will. I'll take yes. the over on that one. I think that I think that it's a wait and see. I want to know if Miguel Sano is going to, well, forget about the off-the-field stuff just because that's much more nuanced of a conversation than we can have in a quick computer projection, but... On the field, if we're just talking about him as a player, I think that he has another level to get to. I think that he has the talent, the capability. What he's going to need is the sort of the humility, the drive to say, okay, I've got this level of talent and I've reached this threshold. He has not hit his ceiling, in my opinion, but every year you pass and say that, it gets a lot less likely that you ever hit that ceiling. There's only so long you can be... Well, Del, Delman Young's just sort of unfulfilled potential. There's something there. After a certain amount of time, you are the player that you've been for the past few years. There, there was a time last year where I thought he was really there with Sano. First half of the season that he just looked dialed in. You could count on a 500-foot home run every couple of nights, and he was working walks. The on-base percentage was up, and it looked like there was even some skip in his step over at third base, like he actually wanted to be over there. Was that the scouting was, report? Was trying, yeah. <laughs> Just uh, skip in step. But I mean at that at that time it appeared like that corner was being turned and then it wasn't just the injury, but it was leading into the injury. There was a big section of time where it's like, you know, 
might be wearing a little bigger size uniform here, uh, sure. you know, and it just didn't didn't quite seem as sharp and striking out at ridiculous levels at the plate. I you were getting to the point with both of these guys with Buxton and Sano where we're going to really know who they are. And with Sano last year, we might have gotten all the shades of what he's really going to be. And maybe there will be some years that are better than uh, others, but mm-hmm. he's going to be the guy that strikes out a ton. He's going to be the guy that seems to frustrate you with his character and makeup. It seems that that's not going anywhere. And I'm now especially convinced of that after the Jeff Passan piece that came out on him. Yeah. And I don't just mean with how he treats other people, but I mean also with how he approaches the game, that there were all the stories, all the comments last year about, man, this guy's really turned it around. But by the end of the season, it looked like there were some extra cheeseburgers hanging off. Yeah. Sure. Um, I'll add one more thing here too it's that it's we get so fixated on just the power numbers the home runs and those definitely matter but not as much as a lot of fans and and even media think uh the san francisco giants won a world series three years ago they hit the fewest home runs in baseball that year moving the chains getting on base playing defense pitching those are all things that that matter beyond the 30 home runs he hit and if you want to compare you want to miguel's no big thumper offensive player one of the you know emerging stars well, Paul Goldschmidt has arrived. We talked about Paul Goldschmidt in our Harrison Smith comparisons earlier this this uh, show. Yeah, Paul Goldschmidt, not only did he give you the Miguel Sano power numbers and then some, he reached base a hundred more times than Miguel Sano did last year. Now, Sano missed a month and a half or whatever it was, two months with the injury. But, um, like, that's the next layer to his game. Be a great power hitter and also do the other things that put you on that superstar MVP caliber path. Yeah, I just I think to Matthew's point where he started off the year so well, he was leading the league, leading the league over guys like Aaron Judge and and giant power hitters like that, the Bryce Harpers of the world in average exit velocity. Now, average exit velocity is not the stat that you should care about the most, but it's a good indicator of who's smoking the ball, who just crushes it when they're up at the plate. Here's another stat for you. Miguel Sano, among all major league hitters, saw one of the fewest percentage of fastballs in the league. That tells me opposing pitchers are seeing him and saying, like, Lou, don't want to give him a pitch that he can handle because it'll end up in the bleachers. Like Matthew was saying, he was due for a 500-foot homer once a week. I think that you put those two things together, though, and you say he was smoking the ball and nobody wanted to pitch to him. And whatever it was, whether they made an adjustment or if he stopped being diligent or sometimes he just slump, that fearsome hitter went away towards the end of the year. I think he's a different player than the total stats have shown for his career. Maybe I'm just Pollyannish on that. I think he's a better player than the stats have shown. But there does become a certain point where you say, all right, over 600 plate appearances. What are you? What are you going to be when you're 25, 27, 30? I'm starting to get a little less confident in it, but Phil, you asked me for an over or under. I would be disappointed if that was the stat line that's an posted over a full season of baseball. The position value matters to his conversation too, right? I mean, Big last time, last year you convinced everyone, Derek. I remember in training camp mm-hmm. or uh, spring training, he, he's going to play third base, mm-hmm. and it's not going to be a nightmare, and it wasn't. But it's still not good. It's right. still not really anywhere near good. And when they would throw Escobar over there, I mean, he was hitting pretty well last year for who he is. He's not going to mash 30 dingers, but he played really good defense over at third base. And it's like you get some of those runs back that you would lose on, on the other end from Sano just being below average. He's 
got to be a DH or he's got to play first base long term. So you wonder, like, okay, well, yeah, Matt, he mashes, but most first basemen mash. That's sure. the thing. It's, right? e- it's even, we only have a minute left here, but we, it's, it's even more important to Matthew's point. If you're not going to play third base and now your offense is being judged at DH and first base, like you can get away with some offensive uh, you know, inefficiencies sure. and some holes in your game if you're also playing really good third base. Evan Longoria doesn't get on base that much, but you know what? He's a vacuum at third base. But if you're going to put me over now by Paul Goldschmidt and Miguel Cabrera before last year, now the bar goes up offensively sure. too. Last thing, and then I'll let you get out of here, is the... Miguel Sano has sort of become what Byron Buxton was last year, where you're like, whoa, his top 10% outcome is awesome. You can't imagine how helpful it would be to have a young player like that. Whereas now, his bottom 10%, just like Buxton last year, two years ago, it's kind of frightening. So it's a a weird uh, switch of the paradigm between the Twins, I think. Best two young players. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm not out on Miguel Sano, but he's got a lot of work to do, apparently as a person and as a baseball player. Call of Duty Modern Warfare is here, and so is Mountain Dew. Roger that. Now you can unlock in-game rewards like only Dew can. Wait, what rewards? A Dew Operator Skin. Man, I love Operator Skins. Dual double XP, and even Call of Duty points. You're kidding me. Double XP and Call of Duty points? This is incredible. I can't believe it. Soldier, get a hold of yourself. Oh, roger that. Look for specially marked packaging and visit mtndugaming.com for details and restrictions. Open to U.S. residents 17 plus. College duty points available on 12 and 24 packs and free 20 and 23.